Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for these wonderful people that you have brought here today for different reasons. Father, we thank you and we ask that your Holy Spirit will speak through your word and touch our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, so today I'm going to share on the subject, is there more to life than this? Is there more to life than this? In other words, what is life all about? Now, I've given out some notes which um, you can receive through the bulletin, but also the red book that you have concerning the Alpha, you can also follow a lot of it. Some of the things I'm going to share is not in the red book, and uh, so it will be in the notes. Okay, so John chapter 14, verse 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. Our Lord said, he said, Jesus said to him, to Thomas, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our Lord Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, there are many people who are not Christians who really respect Jesus, who will say something like this. Jesus was a good man. He was a model human being. He was a great teacher. He really spoke the truth. His life is worthy of emulation. He, his teachings is what helps society today. If you embrace his teachings, it's a fantastic thing to do because he was a great man. And that's, that's true in many respects. That is absolutely true. But then, the same people will say something like this. It doesn't really matter what we believe as long as we believe in God and we treat each other right. Because at the end of the day, we are all serving the same God and uh, in the end, we'll all get there somehow. But our Lord Jesus here says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, either our Lord Jesus was deluded because this is an emphatic statement so either he was deluded in himself in that case he couldn't be a great moral teacher or he was a liar because you can't say I am the way not a way I am the way I am the truth and I am the life you cannot say that and then add not really no so either the Lord Jesus was deluded or he was a liar or what he was saying is true. Now, if what he says here is true, then there are implications. So we're going to begin this teaching and use this as a backdrop because we'll come back to it about what life is all about. Is there more to life than what we currently know? Whether you are religious or not, whether you are a believer or not. And today, I want to speak specifically to the believers here in this room, as well as anyone who is a guest. What is your life all about? In all the things that you are pursuing right now, in all the things that you give your energy to right now, where are you heading? Now, many Christians will say, well, I'm heading to heaven, hopefully. Cross my hands, you know, cross my heart, hope to die, I'm going to heaven. But my question is, what is your life all about? Have you been saved simply, as we would say, simply to go to heaven? Or is there more to our life than what we are currently doing? For instance, 
Why do we bother come to church every Sunday? I mean, what's the point of it all? Couldn't I just, couldn't I just be at home and, you know, maybe log in even? Uh-huh. These days there's a lot of logging in going on. Couldn't I just do that? Or couldn't I just find God for myself? Why do I need organized religion? You all look kind of organized right now. Why do I need that? I want us to read something in James chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. And James the apostle was writing to believers, and he says this to believers. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make, make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Now, this was written to believers. This was not written to people who did not know Christ. This was written to believers. And I want you to observe the following four things about these verses. First of all, James is highlighting those who plan the future by depending on their own initiative and their own ability. How do you plan for the future? When you look at your life and where you were going right now, how do you plan for the future? Do you even plan for the future? And he says to those who plan the future by depending on human initiative and ability, he shows the futility of it. Because in verse 14, he says, You don't even know tomorrow. So the second thing we need to observe in these verses is this. That our plans about the future, if we don't have a proper reference with God, are rooted in ignorance. Our plans about the future without proper reference with God is rooted in ignorance. In other words, we don't know the future. I mean, look at what happened to us just the other day. What a tragedy in Manchester. Those young ladies and those young people went to a concert as normal. And some of them never came back. It's a tragedy. We don't know the future. You know, the other day, the, um, I, I, um, I think a few years ago, there were some people in a pub in Glasgow just enjoying themselves. And out of nowhere, a helicopter crashed and killed some of them. I mean, what are the chances of that? It's terrible. These are terrible realities of life. Now, Hopefully it won't happen to any of us, but the point there is this. We cannot make plans about the future that are rooted in ignorance. And as a pastor, I see at times many believers who live their lives like this. They plan as if they are in control. They plan their future as if they are in control. And sometimes they even add God is leading them. Third point. From this verse, in verse 14, the second section, he says, For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. In other words, we have to be careful that our plans are made with a proper estimation of our time on on this earth and the value we place on things. Listen, beloved, whatever plans you have about your life, whatever you think you're going, Your life compared to eternity is but a vapor. Your life is but a vapor. 
You know, a few years ago, I was a 16-year-old young boy. I don't know why you're laughing. And I gave my heart to Jesus. And at that time, I wondered whether I would even be able to live for Jesus till I'm 21 years old. That would be five years later. And I was like, if I could just make it till I was 21. 35 and a half years later, or 35 plus years, now look at you, you're all working at my age. This is what always happens. It seems as if it's just gone like that. Whoosh. It's just gone so quickly. Our life is but a vapor. When you're young, and when things are going well, you can be very confident. You can say all kinds of things. Oh, I don't believe in God. Oh, I, I don't care about God. I don't care about those things. I just live my life. I just will do what I do. And then when we're in trouble, we say, oh, God, help. The other day I was talking to somebody, and we're talking, and I was asking them questions about life and about God. They made it very clear to me they didn't believe in God. And then as we were talking, in the midst of our talking, they called out to God. So I said, I thought you don't believe in God. And <laughs> they caught themselves. So, our plans must be made with a proper estimation of the future. If we want to find out the meaning of life. And then the fourth thing is this. Our plans about our lives must be rooted in and dependent upon God. If we want to live a life with purpose. In verse 15, he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Now, beloved, one of the things I want to challenge you as believers, especially members of this church, is that we really reset how we are living for God. In terms of prayer, in terms of seeking after God, in terms of how we do our life, whether it's how we manage our finance or do family and so forth. Because as time goes on, life gets more and more complex. Challenges comes our way that without the wisdom of God, it will, we will behave like people who do not know God. So, first thing I want to point out to you is, what is your life all about? And if you're a guest with us today, I want to ask you the same question. Your life, what is your life all about? Why are you here? Where are you going? You see, many people want to be successful. Many people dream of being successful. If you're here, how many of you want to do well in life? Come on. How many of you want? We all want to do, even the person who says, I don't really care about life, they want to do well in life. Everybody wants to do well. Even the person who says they don't care, unless, you know, if there's something wrong with us, you know, if there's something going on, then that's different. But normally, if we're normal people, normal you know, if, you, if there isn't anything wrong and it happens, we want to be doing well. We want to be happy. We want a bright future for our lives or for our children. I don't think there's anybody who has children. I'm sure there is somebody who says, these children that I'm having, I want things to go bad for them. Who does that? Nobody. So the question is, what does a successful life really look like? When you think about your life and where it's going, whether you are a believer in Christ or not, what does a successful life look like? Now, I want to show you an example of a successful, meaningless life. This is an individual who, as far as society today is concerned, would be considered as very successful. Luke chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. 
And I want to highlight seven key things and then we'll wrap this thing up. Luke chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. And our Lord Jesus is speaking and he said this. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. That is the desire for things. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Verse 21, so is he who lays up treasures or treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, this man was a hard-working man. He had it all, humanly speaking. He was successful. He was hard-working. He took initiative. He planned his future. He was self-confident. He knew how to enjoy his success. These are all admirable qualities. However, his life shows us the tragedy that many people, believers and non-believers alike, have about life. They give all their energies to the things that are of secondary importance. I'm not saying that these things are not important. They have a, important. They have a place. But they are of secondary importance. And this parable that our Lord Jesus highlights, I want to point out seven key things about them. First of all, it highlights placing the wrong value on materialism and wealth. The wrong value on materialism and wealth. Verse 15, our Lord begins by saying, take heed and beware of covetousness. Why? Because we're all vulnerable. We're all vulnerable to covetousness, the desire for things. The desire for what belongs to others. At times you see somebody else's house and you say, that's my house. How is it your house? The guy has labored and bought the house and you, you say, that's my house. It's not your house. Even some Christians will even add a religious thing. I name it and I what? <laughs> Claim it, yeah. Hmm. Our Lord says, one's life, your life, is not based on what you possess. That's not what gives meaning to your life. Second thing, working hard and being successful is not enough to having a meaningful life. Because the question is, what is life all about? That's the question. What is the meaning of life? Is there more to life than what I am currently living? And whilst it is important to work hard, and it is important to succeed in what we do, it is not enough if it comes to fulfilling purpose. So he gives this parable about a rich man in verse 16 who was successful. It's about a successful rich man. Third point is this. Planning and preparing for the future is not enough to have a meaningful life. 
This man in verse 17 said within himself, he started to plan. He started to strategize about what he should do with his increase. Fourth point is this. Sound financial investments is not enough. If I was to ask this question, how many of you want more money? Hey, there are some people lying even now, you know. Even now. And then, if we were to say, how many of you need more money? Even those who don't need it will. Money is important. Scripture says money answers all things. In other words, money has a way of exposing where we really are. It reveals the true character of an individual. As a pastor, sometimes people say to me, Pastor, when God blesses me, they will add this kind of tongue to it, blesses. I will support the work of God. God, God, they'll say God, not God, God. Just to, you don't even see them after a while. But sound financial, you see, this man said, I will do this. I'm going to pull down my barns. I'm going to expand. I'm going to store up my crops and all of that. Why? Because he was thinking about investment. But that wasn't enough. Fifth point about this is this. To live in a meaningful life is this. Peace of mind is not enough. We all need peace of mind. Verse 19, he said to his soul, so. He said, I will say to my soul, so. You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy yourself. But that was not enough. That was not enough for him. He knew how to enjoy life. He knew how to enjoy, have peace of mind. But it wasn't enough for him to have a meaningful life. Six point. God's opinion about our lives is the only thing that gives our lives meaning. God's opinion about your life, about my life, is the only thing that gives our life meaning. Why? God spoke concerning that man and he called him a fool. Now, beloved, when God says you're a fool, you really are. He said fool. Why was he a fool? This was an intelligent man. This was a a man with um, instinct about how to anticipate problems. This was a, a man who was Hard working. He took initiative, but God called him a fool. Why? Because he lived his life without reference to accountability with God. That's why God called him a fool. You see, there is a verse in the Bible, it says this. Austin is quoting it right now. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so what does he do? He lives his life without reference to God. And as far as he's concerned, there is no God. And so he lives his life, enjoys his life, and wakes up in Hades realizing there is a God. But it's too late because he's having his reality. No God in Hades. And the seventh point is this. Having a right relationship with God is the beginning of a meaningful and fulfilling life. Verse 21. He says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Are you laying up treasure for yourself? Are your efforts and all the things that you're doing, is it about you, beloved? Or is it about 
his will and purpose? These are searching questions that I ask myself. At times as a pastor, a pastors can hide behind the pulpit and people think that because we're doing what we're doing, we must be doing it for God. Beloved, don't be fooled. At times we're doing it for ourselves. Ego, money, influence. Yeah. Praise the Lord. So, we are all in the same boat. Why are you doing what you do with your life? So, let's begin to wrap this up within the context of the Alpha and the Red Book. Those of you who are here, and even those of you who are believers, what is your experience of Christianity? Because, you see, the Christian faith is a worldview that seeks to answer this very question. Is there more to life than this? It seeks to answer this question within the context of a man, Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, the challenge all of us face, even those in church, is that we have experienced misrepresentations of the faith. We have experienced misrepresentations by how we have lived and by what we've seen in others. Misrepresentations of what it really is in the scriptures. That is the truth. I can speak for myself, and I know that there's been many times on my journey that I have been inconsistent. Many times. But I have learned one thing. Forgetting what is behind and looking on what is ahead. Pressing on in Christ to fulfill the reason why I'm here. So, what has been your experience? Perhaps for you, the Christian faith has been irrelevant. It does not really address anything that is relevant for you. As a 16-year-old, that is exactly where I was at. The Christian experience and church life for me was irrelevant. Your music was rubbish. It had no... No, it, was, it wasn't good. Your music wasn't good. In my day, the music was country and western. No, if you like country and western, God bless your life. But as a 16-year-old in, in, in Vauxhall, Stockwell, it didn't have any relevance. Or you may have found for you the Christian faith is not true. As far as you're concerned, it's untrue. It's a lie made up by people, by men. As a 16-year-old, I used to say it's a white man's religion. That's what I used to say. Let's move on. <clears throat> I, also thought, I also thought that it was totally boring. I, genuinely, genuinely, in my mind, going to a church on a Sunday meant socializing with very old people about to die. Look at them right now. No, let's move on quickly. <laughs> However, I came to realize that the Christian faith is about Jesus, who said, I am the way. What does that mean? In other words, he was saying that his life was the example and the pattern by which everybody was to walk the journey of life. He was, he is, not was, he is the way. And his life answers the question of the point of living, the purpose behind life. 
and where every human being is heading. Beloved, you are spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. Your body is temporal. Your spirit and your soul is eternal. It's going to be forever. Your soul is your personality, and your spirit is the part of you that connects with the supernatural and with God. And it's your spirit that gives you conscience, a sense of right and wrong. And that part of you is what God put in you. And that's what will last forever. And in every human being, there is a deep question. Why am I here? What is the point of life? I remember as a young lad, having this sense of emptiness in me. It, I could feel it. It was very real. And I remember after I encountered the Lord Jesus in my bedroom. And you say, how did you encounter him? It did not appear like, you know, it didn't appear in some kind of morph and then say, Joseph, I am Jesus, I have appeared. I wish that happened because then that would be really powerful, isn't it? I could say, listen, this is what happened. Jesus appeared and said, Joseph, I am Jesus. But it wasn't like that. I was reading the Bible. It really spoke to me. And then I just blurted out something. I said, ah, this is all not. I said, oh, look at this. This is hard. It's all well and good you saying what you're saying. This is exactly how I said. It's all well and good you saying what you're saying. You know, who can do this? Who can do this? You know, no, I didn't say it's all well and good. I said, who can do this? Nobody can do this. And then I heard. Joseph, a strong thought went in my head and went, Joseph, it's all well and good. That's where I get the well and good from. The thought came, it's all well and good you saying what you are saying, but today, if you die, you are going to hell. What a shock. That's what happened to me. And I dropped the Bible because I thought I was a Christian. Imagine that. I actually thought I was a Christian. My friends used to ask me, what religion are you? Christian. Presbyterian. And the, my first supernatural experience that I recognized God's voice, he says, if I die, I'm going to hell. But Jesus answered that question. And after I had this experience, that sense of emptiness went. I looked for it, and I was surprised. Because I thought maybe we were spacemen, came from space. Yeah, maybe you've thought of that. Anyone ever thought of that? Maybe they're from another, I'm not saying look like one, I'm saying you're from, C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because I see everything else. When you begin to have your life in right relationship with God, you begin to see things from their proper perspective. Jesus Christ is the lens through which we see God because he is the way to God. So if you want to know what God is like, really what God is like, then look at Jesus in the Gospels. Read about him because he is the final revelation of God. You see, when you read the Old Testament, you see aspects of God's personality, but you don't see it in totality. But when you look at Jesus Christ, you see him in his complete fullness. He also said, I am the truth. What does that mean? 
truth speaks of reality. It's not just information. Truth addresses reality. It addresses things as they are from God's perspective. When Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, before he was about to be sentenced, this man had the authority to release him. And all Jesus needed to do was to say something that would appease, that would make Pontius Pilate release him. And he says to Pontius Pilate in John chapter 18 from verse, um, from verse 37, he says, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you said rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this Cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who hears, who is of the truth, hears my voice. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Again, this statement is so emphatic that either he was deluded when he was saying it, or he was a charlatan, or it is true. Because you cannot say, Everyone who hears the truth hears my voice. It's like me saying to you right now, if you don't agree with me, you are of the devil. Can you imagine that? Me and my wife are arguing over something. She says, Joe, I want us to paint the place yellow. I said, ah, 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 yellow is the color of cowards. Sorry, if you're wearing yellow, I'm not, I don't mean that really. I said, no, you paint the sitting room bright red. Because the red is the blood of Jesus. So that any devil that enters the house is cast out. My wife says, no, 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 no. You can't do that. I said, hey, wife, anybody who hears the truth listens to me. How far is that going to go in that marriage? Yeah. He said, I am the truth. Whether it's intellectual truth, whether it's truth that is from our heart, Jesus says he's the truth. Whether it's based on information, anything that is reality points to Jesus in some way or another and what he stands for. And then he said, I am the life. What does that mean? It's true vitality. It's true meaning. The Greek word Zoe speaks of that life that God possesses in himself that he gives to everyone else. Jesus, our Lord, came to deal with three key things. He came to deal with our sin, that which spoils and infects our life. He came to deal with our guilt, that which sentences and condemns us to be separate from God and to face the consequences of our sin. And he came to deal with the devil, the one who seeks to destroy our lives in a very clever way so that you don't even know it's him. And because God loves all of us so much, he sent his son, our Lord Jesus, into this world so that when we come into relationship with him, we can begin to have true meaning to our life. Amen. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to go into groups, and we are going to discuss this further. But I want to pray first of all for anybody here and, and for all of us here that perhaps God has touched your heart in some way. So why don't we just all bow our heads and close our eyes?
and we're going to pray. You don't have to if you're a guest, if you don't want to, but we're going to pray. And I want to pray for you, especially if you're in this place today. And as I've been sharing, you've been thinking about your life and the direction of your life. And maybe you're saying to God, Lord, I don't like the direction of my life. I don't like the way I've been living. I want things to change. Maybe you're a believer and you've lost that connection with God, with our Lord Jesus. Or maybe you're a guest here and you're thinking about life. If that is you and whoever you are, I'm not going to ask you to stand. I just want you to open your heart to God. And if you want to, you can raise your hand. You don't have to. And I'm just going to pray with you, with every head bowed and every eye closed. So if you're saying, Joseph, I want you to pray with me to know more about God, to know more about Jesus, why don't you raise your hand where you are? I'm going to pray with you. If you are saying, Joseph, I want you to pray with me because I want to fulfill purpose in my life, why don't you raise your hand? I'm going to pray with you. Father, thank you for these precious ones whose hands are raised, whose hearts are opened right now. I ask that your Holy Spirit will speak to them as only you know how, that you reveal our Lord Jesus to them. I pray that everyone in this place will come to a place where they will surrender their heart completely to you and your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you very much. Angela is going to come and give us some instructions. God bless you. Thank you. Wow, a lot to think about there, isn't there? And we're going to use some of those points and some of the things that we've heard to have a bit of a discussion. So we have three uh, youth, cell, youth groups, which are small groups. So if the youth, you know what group number you're in, so you can uh, make your groups. You can either make your groups where you are or you can sit in the foyer bit if you need more space. And the rest of us are already in groups as well, so we already know what groups we're in. You've got so, some uh, group leaders, some hosts who are there to serve you. And we, as you, as you heard, um, you should all have a red book. And we're uh, working through this book from a page.